Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Runs World podcast with me, Rick Pearson, and me, Ben Hobson. Today we're speaking with Chris McDougall about Born to Run Two, the follow-up. Is it actually the the follow up? Have you or is that your artistic license from you there? No, oh, that, that's not the title. It's got it's got a, a, an extended title. Okay, but Born to Run Two is the kind of the headline. And um, yeah, we were talking about this when we kind of anyone who's not familiar with with Born to Run, very very quick synopsis on, on that book uh, came out in two thousand and nine, and it's credited as starting the boom in barefoot running. Um, and it told the tale of the Taramara who live in the Copper Canyons of Mexico and run for hundreds of miles in sandals, seemingly yeah. without getting injured. And, and McDougall essentially kind of looked at why this might be and came to various conclusions about um, kind of, yes, the benefits of, of going back to sort of natural running, maybe kicking off your shoes, um, eating more naturally and all that stuff. And it was a massive, you know, bestseller, but probably one of the biggest and most influential running books of all time, I'd say. So this follow-up, let's get excited. Yeah, I think so. I think the impact of the book was... Even if you've not read it, the your, the impact of the book will you'll still be your parts of your running life will be influenced by it, perhaps Definitely. or something like that. And also, yeah. what's interesting is that when we spoke to um, Mr. McDougall, was that we asked him about the whole barefoot thing, mm. and he was he was quite clear in the sort of it was quite a small part of the book. It was it was quite a sort of it was the bit it was the bit that everyone seemed to latch onto. But there was actually only one guy in it who was like Mr. Harcourt Barefoot and everyone else was still wearing shoes, but everyone yeah, still... Yeah, it was, yeah. It was like, because um, it's, it's often like, it almost became a vi- bit of a victim of its own success, that book. Thing. Yeah. And, it was, and like you say, it was maybe misinterpreted by some people going out and buying like Vibram Five Fingers. Yeah. Hello, myself included. <laughs> Hello, uh, guilty. And then, and then sort of going, uh, running on really hard surfaces and then and then kind of looking at the book in anger when you kind yeah. of had a suspected stress fracture. So yeah, in some ways it's had like, I was thinking this, it's, it's become it's become very easy to slag off, I think, Born to Run. Very easy for people to say, oh, you know, like Born to Run just said, you know. It's also like, it was a book of of its era, wasn't it? Or certainly it, was the, it started an era of running that it was kind of held responsible for. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So, so, so sort of re- retrospective looking back at it, everyone would be like, oh, oh, haven't times changed or something? But actually... The fundamentals of the book and what he's talking about and the way he touches upon nutrition and and and, and in the new book too again he, he goes into nutrition and diet and running and as a whole um it's much more of a guide the second one so yeah that's it yeah i think yeah, that's yeah. It's, it's more sort of training manual and he's teamed up with um eric orton who is kind of the named coach in in born to run so he's kind of bringing the the coaching now and i think that um mcdougall's great storytelling plays a part in kind of bringing to life some of these uh, uh, great runners and and how they're using that that kind of running to achieve brilliant things. Um, but yes, so it was actually great. It was great to talk to him, wasn't it? And, and oh, I really good. Um, 
I mean, he yeah. was up, he was up at half six in the morning to talk to us. So I lived in Hawaii, and, and, isn't he? Uh, it, I mean, I don't know about you, Rick, but if I try and have a conversation at half past six in the morning, <laughs> it's not it's not a lucid or interesting one. And we got both, so that was. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Fair play to him. Yeah, probably the earliest anyone's gotten up to to speak with us, isn't it? Six. I think him and Alex Hutchinson once when he was on to talk to us. Oh, both, yes. Both early starts for those guys. Two great guys. Two great uh, pillars of the running community. So there we go. Well, I think without further ado, we should get on our early rising author, Chris McDougall, to talk about Born to Run to. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone Could be an athlete Could be a physio Or a complete unknown Well Chris, f- thanks so much for, uh, for making time to speak with Runners World UK um, I was saying to Ben beforehand that Born to Run was such an influential book for me I, I actually don't think I would be talking to you as someone who works at Runners World without reading that book so it's, uh, it's lovely to talk to you after uh, well it's probably about 10 years ago that I read that book so there you go you know, it's funny. I'll sometimes talk to people and some kid will say, you know what? I read your thing in this book in middle school. I'm like, yeah. now he's like a grown-ass adult. Like, dude, don't, don't age me like that. <laughs> Born to Run has to be, you know, one of the biggest sort of phenomenons in running literature. I struggle to think of a book that had a bigger impact, certainly in the last sort of 30 years. Was it intimidating to try to kind of to put yourself in the in the Born to Run world again after it and, and, and do this Born to Run too, where you kind of, was there something like almost like the kind of difficult second album that you might experience? Not really because it was nothing I really considered. I, I wasn't planning ever to, to, to uh, do a Born to Run too. To me, that was a, a one-off adventure and I felt like the curtain dropped at just the right point. And I, so I never intended to circle back at all. And the only reason I did is because, well, basically there for two reasons. One was I'd actually set out to write a, a different book. I was uh, contracted to write a book called King of the Weekend Warriors. And I was writing it because I was kind of disturbed by the, you know, no pain, no gain, you know, run yourself into the hospital mentality that has been spreading through running. You know, I, I, I call it sort of the David Goggins effect. You got to just like yeah. destroy your kidneys or else you haven't really tried your hardest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And look at this thing. This is like completely the wrong message to associate running. That so much of running, unfortunately, is associated with pain. You know, if you're not really, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not doing it right. And so I started to write this book called King of the Weekend Warriors, where I focused on uh, people that I know that are very high performing, very skilled athletes, but who go about it with a sense of complete joy and fun and camaraderie. But then after about two years of working that book, something started to bother me. And and I realized that I wasn't writing it because I wanted to tell a story. I was writing it because I wanted to win an argument that all I was really trying to do was tell David Goggins, dude, you're wrong. And it it seems like such a sour way to present a book. And I, I felt it infecting the book that I was writing. So I hit pause on that and thought, okay, what's the opposite? What's the opposite kind of book you can write that is really about sharing something that you truly believe and people really want to know? And that's what it dawned on me. I've been getting requests for advice ever since Born to Run came out. You know, I've gotten, I would say in the hundreds of thousands of requests from people asking me 
for advice. And, and I never give it because like, I'm not that guy. You know, I'm not a coach. I'm not a physiologist. I don't know how to, to fix your injuries. And then it finally got through my head. Well, like I, I know those guys. Like, I know those people. So why not write a book that actually taps into that kind of knowledge? So how would you go about describing Born to Run 2 then? Is it part training guide, part stories, part something? How would you, how because it's sort of the, the concept of it, it's a, it's a merging of different ways of, sort of talking about running. How do you best describe it? I look at it as everything that wasn't in Born to Run 1 is in Born to Run 2. Right. And basically, it, but it, it, there are two things that I felt constricted by in Born to Run. Uh, number one was you can't, there are all these great stories and dramas in our sport. And, but you can only include so many. And even though I am like super hyperactive and ADHD, like off the chart, um, even my attention span, I, I could not fit all those kind of distractions into Born to Run. So one thing I wanted to do was include stories that I thought were great, but I couldn't tell in the first book. And the second part is I was a very tentative runner at the time that I researched and wrote Born to Run. I was new to the sport myself. I really wasn't positive that any of this stuff worked. You know, I, I feel like when I talk about minimalist running or my own eating at Born to Run, I'm like, okay, look, I think this stuff works. Let's see. And then it hit me like, hey, 15 years later, it's working. So that's basically it. It is the training advice that I have now realized after 15 years genuinely works. Do you think, Chris, that any of the messages in, in Born to Run have been misunderstood or misrepresented? And is part of Born to Run 2 about um, a chance to sort of address some of these? That's an interesting question. Are they being misunderstood? Um, yeah, in, in one sense. I think, and it's, it's a failing that I have as well which is that we are a creature of shortcuts. We want to get to the finish line. And, you know, I'm guilty of it as well. You know, when you go on a run, if it is a 10K run, that's 10Ks. You know, it's not, you know, one, it's not a starting line, finish line. It's 10 kilometers. And, but how often do we actually embrace the 10 kilometers? After a three, we're like, all right, you know what? I'm ready for breakfast. Like, let's get this shit over with. <laughs> and so yeah. that's how our mind works. I think our, our, our mind and instinct is, all right, what's, what's the shortcut? How can we get this over with? So I think what happened with Born to Run is one of the big su surprises to me was when um, people suddenly started to buy Vibram Five Fingers like crazy. And I was like, oh, that's kind of surprising because the only person in the book who wears Vibram Five Fingers is Barefoot Ted. And he's yeah. like the wackiest dude in the book. Like, huh. Interesting that of all the advice that anybody could take from Born to Run, they zeroed in on Barefoot Ted. Uh, so, so I think the one thing that maybe was interpreted differently than I would have expected is the sense that you can like buy a product and that's going to solve everything. Or you can just take your shoes off and that's going to solve everything. Because in the book, I don't run barefoot at all. Uh, Eric Gordon specifically tells me, look, you can either train for a 50-mile race or you can radically transform your running form. You, you can't do both. And mm -hmm. so we agree on this idea like, okay, we will go to a more neutral shoe, a more moderate shoe, because I'm ramping up from zero to 50 miles in 10 months. So that's the one thing. I think a lot of people thought, oh, I got the answer. You know, I'll buy the Vibram Five Fingers and I'm good. 
I did that, you know. Yeah, I bought, Rick, I was going to uh, say, Rick, Friday, straight just away. Like, <laughs> just, describe, just describing me. And then I went out and ran like 10K on the road in them and was like kind of surprised that my my right foot hurt for a couple of weeks. Um, but mm-hmm. I take the point. You're right. Of all the people in the in the book, you know, Ted's not, he's not cast as the sort of responsible trainer. He's like, you know, <laughs> he's a card, isn't he? Uh, but there you go. It goes to show you, we all make these mistakes. Ben. Well, actually just me and maybe, but there you go. Maybe just you, Eric. Um, you mentioned Eric then. How did uh, working with, with Eric um, in terms of putting this together come about? And he's obviously a long-term collaborator of yours anyway. So what made you bring him in for this book specifically you know it's funny um i only see eric physically about once every like eight years and (laughs) yet it's it's kind of weird but when we get together it clicks instantly and we get along super well so the idea i had was i wanted the book to cover um all the aspects that he and i have been discussing for years our belief is that, unfortunately, we've reduced running to just like an interruption in our lives. You know, it's that 45 minutes that we carve out five days a week, period. And then we go about the rest of our lives. And, and we have this belief that ancestrally, evolutionarily, running was completely woven in with all aspects of our lives. And it's a tall order to suggest to people that we do the same thing now because we have lots of other things going on. But... Our belief is that there are these sort of seven ancestral sources of energy that we can all tap into to make our running feel better, to enjoy it more, to get better at it. So I called them up to say, hey, let's do this book and look at all of what we, what we call the free seven. And we've been having a conversation with the free seven for 15 years now. And as we started talking that initial phone call, 45 minutes, we sketched out the entire book. So I, I'd only called him to say, hey... You know, maybe you and I can work on the form and fitness section and we'll find someone else for uh, for footwear and someone else for food. But he and I realized we'd already accumulated such an archive of information that in one 45-minute phone call, we had the outline of the book all sketched out. Would you say, Chris, I guess like I was definitely someone who read the book and probably probably slightly misinterpreted some of it and, and was very into sort of barefoot minimalist running. Um, I think since then, my attitude to footwear has probably mellowed a little bit. I still like some of the minimalist philosophy, but I think there's a, uh, I find from a kind of pra- pragmatic, practical sense, shoes of a little more cushioning work for me. I'd be interested to know if your opinion on, on footwear has changed at all over the last, say, 15 years, or are you still at heart a kind of minimalist man? You know, it's funny. I, I think I'm more radical and extreme by far than, than even Eric is. Uh, right. And I think, the re- I think the reason why is because – so I had an interesting experience actually in the UK. Uh, after we had done the Copper Canyon race, and I'd only decided that this could be a book after the race. I hadn't gone into the race thinking that I was going to write a book about it. It was only after I had spent this year training for this race and then went down to the canyon and had it. And as, as Eric and I were on this like ramshackle journey to try to get back out of the Copper Canyon yeah. – at one point, we're on this bus at like four o'clock in the morning, somewhere outside of Chihuahua, and he and I were talking, and I was like, "Hey, you know what? This could be a really good book." Like that was the moment that it, that it dawned on me. But since then, so then after that, I spent two years working on the book, and I was actually in the UK for a conference on fascia, on like internal uh, ligaments and tendons. And while I was there, I started to get a heel pain. And I was there for about two weeks, and my heels really bothered me. I'm like, man, this feels like 
plantar fasciitis, but that's impossible because I'm a minimalist runner and like my form is now perfect. And so the theory is I should not have plantar fasciitis. Like what's going on? And uh, a friend of mine who is a parkour guy suggested I talk to Lee Saxby. Have you guys encountered Lee? Yeah, we know Lee a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And say, so, hey, and this time he was an unknown guy and he was doing fitness training and boxing training in a little gym in the basement of a, of a small hotel. And my friend said, hey, you should go over and talk to this guy, Lee Saxby. So he was literally an underground footwear expert, literally in a gym underground. So I go to see this guy show up. It's unannounced at this little gym. And he's like working out with some people. He's training. And I explain why I'm there. And I said, but, you know, the reason why I wear these minimalist shoes is because I'm a minimalist runner. And he looks at my shoes. And he goes, those are those look like sofa cushions. Those aren't minimalist. <laughs> I think I was wearing like Nike Pegasus. And uh, he, goes, he goes, that's that's the beginning of your problem right there, man. Take those shoes off. Took the shoes off. He ran me through some exercises. He had me run barefoot outside. And then uh, he goes, okay, now, you know, run back to your hotel. I think I was like up at Hyde Park. And I think it was about a three-kilometer run back to my hotel. And he goes, now, just throw those shoes in the rubbish and run back to your hotel. And I'm like, really? I'm going to run through downtown London barefoot? And he's like, I would if I were you. And I did. I took his advice and I did it. And anyway, the wow. pain went away. But it was such a such a like lightning bolt moment for me for two reasons. Number one was that I was so capable of backsliding. What, what had happened was, you know, the Pegasus back then was it probably only had about a six millimeter drop. It was not yeah. a radically cushioned shoe back in the day 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, but it was enough cushion for my form to degenerate and for me not to notice. And so over time, I was getting, you know, I was starting to overstride and heel stride and heel strike, and I didn't realize it. And, and the second thing was that changing behavior could change the outcome so dramatically. So those two things happened. One was if I wear cushioning, I will backslide. And number two is if I can change the behavior, I can cure the outcome very, very quickly. And for that reason, I become. You know, I, I become like a reformed drinker. Like I can't even taste alcohol or I'm going to just, you know, go to pot. For me, like I can't feel cushioning or my form will fall to crap. Uh, Eric, he runs in the Teton Mountains. He likes a little bit more cushion underfoot. Uh, one of the, actually, it's interesting. In, in the book, we recommend, we finally recommend a pair of shoes and we recommend uh, Alt Ultras, uh, the Ultra Escalante. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which to me is way too much shoe, but Eric feels is a great transitional shoe. Yeah, for sure. No, they're and that's good. kind of a zero drop, isn't it? Zero drop, lots of room in the forefoot. So kind of barefoot philosophy, but with cushioning underfoot. So yeah, exactly. I thought you yeah. might say ultra. How do you yeah. feel about the, the maximal trends then, Christopher? How, what's, what do you think about this? The, 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 the size of the shoes these days, particularly now with carbon plates being involved? So I think the thing about it is, well, one thing is we have to understand, you know, footwear is a sensual pleasure. It's, Putting a different pair of shoes on your feet is like having a different meal for lunch or dinner. Uh, we don't want to eat oatmeal three times a day every day. We, we want to experience something different. So I totally get it. Like I have way more and uh, way more shoes I need and a much broader variety of shoes than I need because it feels good. You know, if I put on like a zero shoe um, sandal and then the next day I put on the New Balance Minimus that, that transition, that new sensation feels good. You enjoy it. It makes your run more enjoyable. So I totally get the pleasure of a nice uh, feeling shoe. However, that said to me, 
this constant bombardment of new stuff takes away from what the real message is, which is the craft, the skill of running. You know, if you go to a martial art gym, they're not loading you up with carbon fiber and cushioning and stuff. You walk into a martial arts gym, it's very minimal, it's very bare. You walk into a ballet studio, very minimal, very bare. The idea is start with nothing, master your body's performance, and only add implements as necessary. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know, we're increasingly talking about things like overconsumption um, and the idea that running shoes take, you know, hundreds of years to decay on landfill and that sort of stuff. And I think Bourne's Run was very, very good early on at kind of suggesting the limitations of, of gear and actually that the answer may lay may lie somewhere other than getting a new pair of shoes or a new pair of shorts and that kind of thing so i think that that message to come out again i think is actually really timely and and good um quick question on on diet chris you, you obviously mentioned in born to run the kind of surprising diet of the um the taramara indians and it, it often you know it wouldn't necessarily strike people as the most healthy diet um there were things like chia seeds were talked about where where are you now in terms of nutrition and what's the kind of nutritional um approach recommended in in this new book so um, the real revelation for me in that regard was uh, you know, the second book I wrote after Born to Run was Natural Born Heroes. And it, it, it presented kind of a, a, a dichotomy for me because in Born to Run, I was down with the Tarumata, who are by necessity largely vegetarian. They, they live on a diet of mostly uh, homegrown uh, foods, you know, squash and corn, and, um, and, and little beyond that. And Scott Jorick, who was one of the major influences, he was actually the first ultra runner I ever met was Scott Jorick. And he has a very disciplined vegan diet. So for Born to Run, I was like, okay, this seems to work. People who eat real foods, mostly vegetables, tend to do very well. Uh, so that was my orientation for Born to Run. But then 
I became aware of this phenomenon of these resistance fighters during World War II who are pulling off these like, extraordinary physical feats on the Greek island of Crete. So I went over to Crete to check out, well, what are these guys eating? So during World War II, these guys are living 60 miles up in the mountains. They are basically running 60 miles down to the coast, fighting a bunch of Nazis, stealing their weapons, and hucking 60 miles back in the mountains. These guys do a 120-mile ultramarathon with a little bit of mixed martial arts in the middle. Well, what are these guys fueling themselves on? And their diet is radically different. Theirs was actually largely um, meat-based. So I was trying to figure out, well, what's the connection between these two things? And what it essentially comes down to is the glycemic index. It's basically what foods are jacking up your insulin rates, what foods have that fast burn. And so where, where we land in both Natural Born Hearers and in um, Born to Run 2 is a very simple feeling-based orientation for diet. Uh, there's a thing called the two-week test. And what you do with the two-week test is for 14 days, you eliminate all the high glycemic foods from your eating. So you get rid of the pasta, the rice, uh, the, the breads, you know, the uh, any kind of sugars, fruits, anything which will be a fast burn food. You don't eat any of those for two weeks. But you do eat lots of things like tomatoes and sour cream and salmon and meat if you if you like meat or tofu if you don't. All the low burn foods. You do that for two weeks. At the end of two weeks, you gradually introduce reintroduce some of the high glycemic foods to your diet. So after two weeks of no rice, have a little bit of rice, wait an hour, see how you feel. If you feel fine, good. Your body can tolerate a half a cup of rice. Then try a full cup of rice, see how you feel. If you feel sluggish, bloated, that's your limit. And so essentially what we're trying to do with Born to Run 2 is make everything very feeling-based so you can tell by your own body's reaction how you react to footwear and, and food as well. How much trial and error, Chris, did you go through with all of this sort of stuff? I mean, it sounds like that's sort of going off into to Crete and, and sampling what those guys were eating and then looking at alternative diets. Like how much, I mean, it's, how often, how long were you spending just working through different diets and, and, and thought processes and, and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, it was basically two, two years per project. So uh, Born and Run took two years. Natural Born Heroes is two years. That seems to be kind of my life cycle. Uh, I'll, get a, I'll get curious about something. And I'll start to research it and I'll read a ton and ask some questions and interview people. Then I'll try to immerse myself in the experience. And that whole process takes about a full year. And then I'll spend a year trying to sort it out and write it. But what's interesting is that all of the things that I've become interested in, like footwear or diet or running form, these are things that have really long, deep roots, you know, have great long ancestral pedigree. So like footwear. The shoes that Barefoot Ted recommends, which I also feel are great shoes, those, those very basic uh, sandals, there's a you know 10,000-year resume for those shoes. You know, the, the Roman centurions wore them, Greek warriors wore them, Jesus wore them, uh, the Thaumata wear them, and then minimalist runners today wear them. So, you know, and same with the, um, uh, the eating plan we, we suggest in Born to Run 2. It's basically the Mediterranean diet. This is a healthy eating system that has been pursued by the healthiest people in the world for thousands of years. Um, with Eric Orton, so I, I got a hold of his book, The Cool Impossible, which I think came out just a bit after Born to Run, and he was very big on foot strength, which you talk about in Born to Run the first time around a little bit, I think. Um, 
Does that play a role here? Because I think, again, it, when it comes to strength and conditioning, there's probably things that foot strength might be something that sets Eric apart from some other uh, sort of PTs out there because it's perhaps something that people undervalue and yet running is you know a bit of a foot game ultimately, or at least on some level. So does, does that play a part in this book as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because I think the reason why Eric and I work so well together is because he is so knowledgeable and so disciplined as an athlete himself. And I am so like limited attention span and I'll, I'll basically push back. So he'll say, these 15 exercises are crucial for foot strength. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I am never doing 15 freaking exercises. Never going to happen. You better boil it down to maybe three. And yeah, he's like, well, yeah. it shouldn't take more than 45 minutes. Dude, I'm never spending 45 minutes. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and so between us, that, that push and pull, I think most times, you know, if your coach tells you to do something, you either do it or you secretly pretend you're going to do it, but you really don't. Um, Eric and I have enough of a rapport where he can say it. I can just call bullshit instantly. Like, no, I'm never going to do it, dude. <laughs> Give me something else. And, but I agree with him. I, I know he's right. But I also know myself that I'm just not going to do something. If it's unpleasant, after two weeks, I'll never do it again. And so what, what it came down to is, yeah, foot strength, what he calls the foot core, is crucial. But what he came up with were these exercises. Here, here's a simple one. In the morning, you're heating up coffee. Uh, you're standing next to a counter. All you got to do is balance on one foot. Get up on the forefoot of one foot, let the other foot hang loose, and just try to balance yourself for a minute or two on each foot while you're waiting for the coffee to warm up. You know, you can do it in a couple, you know, less than five minutes. It will activate every muscle, not only in your foot, but up your chain as you're fighting for balance. And that's a great way to, to reawaken the system before you even had a sip of coffee. Yeah, that's great. I, lo I love all that. I love all that stuff. I think, yeah, exercises you can fit into your daily life that don't kind of, that aren't a time drag. Uh, um, that's the kind of stuff we like to try to recommend in the magazine as well because I think it just acknowledges that people are busy and it's, you know, sometimes the, the perfect way of doing something just puts people off because it's intimidatingly long or involved. Yeah. I, I brushing your teeth and doing calf raises that was always my like once you, you stood there brushing yeah, your right, teeth yeah. you know there's a bit of movement going on maybe if you're brushing really hard try and balance while you're <laughs> try, try and balance while you're doing that yeah. um I, I i really like what you said at the beginning actually about removing the sense of pain um from running and and the sort of the 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 modern language that's used with running and the way that it's sort of laid out as a a great challenge to the point of destruction how did how did you wanted to address that with the book how, how what was did you want to make this as a training guide but still maintained an essence of running being something that we ancestrally have done or that is fun and can be enjoyed is that sort of something that you really wanted to sort of get across yeah there, there are two things you know that unfortunately we've adopted as running one is being solitary and one as accepting pain as the price of admission. And when you look back ancestrally, this was never a part of how runners um, or how humans ran for two reasons. Number one, you would never go off in the wilderness by yourself. That would never happen. If you did, you didn't come back. You know, if you went off running off by yourself, you were somebody else's, something else's food. So ancestrally, we always ran as a group. Secondly, you would never drain your energy tank unless absolutely necessary. Because, you know, 
our legs were the only thing we could rely on for survival. So if you went out and you ran your hardest for an hour and then trouble arose and you were blanked out on energy, that was it. You were done. So ancestrally, the way we ran was in a group and always kind of within our aerobic threshold. You know, we kept our heart rates low. We kept our uh, effort moderate and we ran communally. Unfortunately, that's kind of gone. You know, so you see the success of park run, you know, how that took off. Once we reintroduce the aspect of showing up with a group with a smile on your face, people loved it and instantly took to it. Uh, we're seeing a lot in the U.S. right now, too, where affinity groups are, are, are springing up, where running is based around neighborhood and community, and they're just mushrooming really quickly. Uh, what, what we try to recommend to people is embrace the comfort and the fun of running. And secondly, anything you can do to uh, go with another living creature, be it a person or a dog, you will feel that benefit almost instinctively. Uh, it will benefit your running. Who would you say, Chris, that this book is for? Is it for a particular type of runner? Or is it is it for all runners? Is it more beginner-friendly? Is it more elite? Is it ultra-runners, short-distance? Yeah, that's we you know we were we were aiming the dart right in the center, right in the Venn diagram for everybody. And what we realized, so this is this is kind of this is a really instructive moment for us. It was by accident. So when Eric and I started discussing this, it was back in uh, September of a year ago, and we realized, huh, if we're actually going to do this book and have it out by Christmas, we only have about seven months to write it, and we were dedicated to having lots of really cool pictures. Like we wanted. We really wanted to show the diversity of running that a lot of times is not visible in the running world. You know, you see images of running, it's there's a lot of blonde people with ponytails. And what we wanted to show was running is so much more than that. Lots of different people, lots of different body types. types. So we wanted to illustrate that with photographs in the book. So we thought, you know what, we have a very short runway. Let's do the photos first and then we'll worry about the text later. So we got a bunch of people together in California for this photo shoot and a lot of them the majority of them are very accomplished runners. And when we were putting them through some exercises just for the purposes of illustration for the book, we realized they were actually struggling to do these exercises. So, you know, Jenna Crawford, who has like one half marathons, uh, she's got like a one hour and 16 minute half marathon PR, something crazy fast like that. But her glutes are completely deactivated. We would do glute exercises with her and she couldn't accomplish them. And what we realized is no matter what any rudder, runner's success is, they are usually deficient in something else. Either they're getting by on the strength of their quads or their diet isn't really dialed in. Essentially, every runner out there has got a potential catastrophe waiting to happen if they don't sort of look at their whole universal approach. So what we were aiming for was to thread this needle where we can do a reboot for every kind of runner. So if you're a beginner just starting out, this is perfect. If you're a veteran who's got kind of a nagging Achilles pain you haven't figured out, this is perfect. Or if you just kind of plateaued, you're not getting faster, you're not getting longer, you're just kind of muddling along in the middle. The whole idea is this can bring you back to a factory preset and then you can build up from there. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the Runners World podcast. A real privilege and honor to talk to you about um, Born to Run 2 and I hope it has the great positive impact that the first Born to Run had uh, on lots of people, including me. So thanks very much for your time. Uh, I know it's very early for you in Hawaii, so we really appreciate you waking up to, uh, to speak with us.
Hey guys, thanks very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Thanks Thank a you. lot, Have a good Chris. Day. Thank you. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. Thanks very much to our guest, Chris McDougall, and to you, of course, for listening. You can subscribe to Three Issues of Runners World for just £5. Head to hearstmagazines.co.uk slash Runners World Podcast to get this exclusive listener offer. Uh, you listen to the Runners World Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, all the favourite apps, uh, the Googles. Uh, just search Runners World UK. Uh, please do subscribe. That's the best thing you can do. Let us know if you're enjoying it. If you're not enjoying it, don't say anything. <laughs> Thanks for listening and you will hear from us again next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.